This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 120. How are you following? Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, how's that stake? Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello, welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. Glad you could join us for another episode of That's in the Bible. Yeah, the podcast that looks at what does the Bible say about a variety of different topics and different uh, things that we have questions about and you have questions about. We're going to take a look at some interesting topics today. But first of all, I'd like to introduce the panel that has been with us really from the beginning. And... Uh, it's a little unusual for us today because for the first time we are all in the same room. Matthew heard about it and he flew from Alaska and said, <laughs> uh, I want to be there. You guys can't do it without me. Amen. And uh, so that's Matthew Sutton. Matt, what, what are you doing up there in Alaska? Yeah, so we're missionaries uh, preaching the, of course, the gospel to the Eskimos there in Arctic Alaska. So this January will be seven years that we've been out there. So Amen. praise the Lord for that. And back in here to uh, to town here in good old Buffalo, New York, Lockport, New York, and uh, being able to just have a small furlough here just a couple months, uh, visit some churches that uh, have been supporting us, and also uh, try and go to some new churches and, of course, present the ministry and the need out there in the Arctic to other Christians that uh, could pray for us and, and uh, see if they want to get behind us and to be able to reach some more souls for the Lord. Amen. Amen. And uh, so you're enjoying the warmer weather here in, in New York State? I'm enjoying civilization. <laughs> I'm enjoying being able to just drive wherever I want, you know, be able to go to a store. It's amazing. Now you have stores. We have one store, general store. It's got about six aisles. And, you know, it's one of those things where if, say, your phone charger breaks, they probably won't have it. So yeah, you always have to, in your mind, be like, okay, do I have double of everything? Yeah. <laughs> but here, it's like if your phone charger breaks, you could just go down the road and get whatever you need or you know, or, or not have to worry about if the grocery store is going to have milk or ice cream or fruit or vegetables. So it's, it's really nice. The conveniences that we often take for granted, right? Amen. From being here. Amen. And um, tell us a little bit about the team camp that, that's going on. Yeah, we had a great, this year was a great teen camp. Uh, this was about three weeks ago we had it, and we had 20 teenagers come. So that was the most teenagers we've had come. This is the fifth year that we did it, and we do it in the summertime, of course, right before school starts for them. And, of course, we drive 14 miles down the beach from the village uh, on on four-wheelers. I was going to say, you make it sound like we're just driving down a road. <laughs> yeah. But... Yep. yeah, we're out in the elements, you know, and try and keep the kids going 35 miles an hour, nothing more. But, you know, sometimes they're way up on the ridge, you know. And one of the kids, Ephraim, he actually flew a little bit and came down. And we had to say, hey, you follow behind us, you know, don't be crazy. But, I mean, we had 11 four-wheelers going down the beach. We looked like a motorcycle game. <laughs> it was so loud, and we're kicking up rocks everywhere, you know. And 
So it's just an amazing sight. So the neat thing is, is the village knows, okay, this must be teen camp. They're going to teen camp. So it's it's a great testimony too, and just the love that the teenagers have. This is the first year we had it overnight. And so we built two cabins, finally finished the bunk beds inside and everything. They're they're made pretty much for elephants. I mean, you could put as many kids on there as you want wow. on each bunk bed and, you know, the really sturdy but uh but we had uh we had 17 teenagers stay overnight so we thought we might have like five or six uh 17 wanted to stay overnight and then in the morning we of course cooked breakfast for them too and showed them hey listen this is what you should do every morning you should have some time with the lord read your bible pray so that was that was instrumental i think is going to be instrumental in the years to come to get to that habit right yeah yeah amen so it was great amen and the other reason that you happen to be in Lockport is with Pastor Strobel here. And Pastor Strobel, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what's what's happening here in Lockport. Well, we're right in the middle of a revival meeting, and we have um, a couple speakers in, and Brother Matt's one of them. Uh, also, uh, Evangelist Mark McGahey. So we've been enjoying that. Uh, matter of fact, talking about the trip that they took down to the camp, uh, Matt showed us video of it in his presentation on Sunday morning during Sunday school. And not only... Uh, is it long and every, it was kind of muddy in some of those places oh, yeah. as well, <laughs> yeah. muddy and watery. And they were like going real <laughs> slow to get through, but they all made it. So, uh, it's a blessing. Revival meeting is always a great time. Um, we want to have revival. Of course, a lot of times I tell, like I tell our folks, we're, you know, revival starting and we're going to have revival. A revival meeting is not necessarily revival. Mm-hmm. We want them to coincide. We pray for them to coincide. Um, but a meeting is just an opportunity to get a concentrated amount of preaching in a short period of time, extra music, good Christian music as well, fellowship. So we're praying the Lord meets with us. He has already, uh, and we'd like to see him do it uh, even more so. Amen. Amen. And then that brings us to Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve, tell us a little bit about your church there. In, uh... Well, um, we just uh, celebrated our 10th anniversary. Uh, my mm-hmm. wife did uh, little bit of a story. My wife and I came up into this in the western New York area on September 2nd, 1980 with a three-month-old baby and uh, the first of five. And um, uh, we had everything that we owned in and on top of a six by uh, 12 U-Haul trailer. (laughs) And uh, we came up into this area and the Lord uh, dealt with us about several different things, several different places. And uh, back in September 2nd of uh, 2012, we started the uh, Blessed Hope Baptist Church down in Buffalo, and uh, we've been there for 10 years, and uh, we're moving on and growing and uh, just trying to to serve the Lord. We've been out in the community uh, reaching uh, uh, people at the door. Last uh, probably two or three weeks, we've had at least two people trust the Lord as their Savior, had several opportunities to present the gospel. Uh, not every time is it always that uh, receptive. I mean, uh, obviously, if, if anybody's doing door-to-door these days, you know, realize that uh, people just aren't really all that interested in hearing about Jesus Christ. But uh, it doesn't matter whether they receive it or not. I mean, we want them to, and, and we pray for them to, mm-hmm. and we pray for them before we ever go out and pray for them after we leave. But uh, it's it's all about serving the Lord Jesus Christ and presenting the gospel, 
unfortunately, at one day, for those people that reject it, they're going to stand before God, and I believe he's going to play it back where they had an opportunity to hear the gospel and they rejected it. And it's, a, if you could say from the scriptures, a witness against them. But uh, we're just trying to be faithful, and uh, like I said, we've had some uh, some new folks come along and uh, given us a little shot in the arm, and uh, uh, really some encouragement and so forth. And and uh, they're active and supportive, and uh, really enjoy hearing the Word of God preached. And uh, came out of some modern Christianity that uh, really they see the difference between the two, and uh, they're very appreciative of it. And, so, and what- bless the Lord. What would you say is the difference between, I guess all three of you could answer this question, between what your church believes and does versus many other churches? Well, I guess maybe in a nutshell, it's it's more built on emotion than it is built on on uh, uh, truth and facts. The other churches. Yes, the other churches. Um I think that that a lot of the modern churches, if if I were to be blunt, they're more interested in trying to keep their congregation and growing it than preaching the truth and dividing and and maybe having people be the word today offended and offended at the word, which is the scripture, and um, uh, they they leave. And uh, we're not interested in just trying to keep people. We want people to stay. We want people to hear the Word of God. We want people to grow. But it's more uh, really focused on the Word of God. I think doctrine is, is probably the biggest issue uh, that people have a problem with, and the modern churches try to avoid doctrine. I remember um, uh, one of the fellows that came in here recently was mentioning that he he didn't know what the difference was between uh, pre-tribulation rapture and post-tribulation rapture. You know, just all the all the things that are going on mm-hmm. today, and the reason being is because their church avoided it because they knew it would cause division, right? And they would lose membership, and they and the the, the bottom line of that they would lose finances, <laughs> and uh, they lose their ties. So, uh, you know, that's the, I'm sure the guys could probably cite other things, but to me, really, it's, it's based on emotion. They're trying to get people to feel good about coming to church, which, you know, I'm not here wanting people to go away angry or mean or, or anything like that, but I want them to know the, the truth of the Scriptures, and sometimes we have to preach things that are against our nature, and uh, unfortunately, you know, people aren't aren't interested in that anymore. They're they're wanting to be stroked and and felt good and and uh, you know something good is going to happen to you today. You know all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of where where it is. I, I'm sure the other guys could probably add some things to that. Amen. Um, yes, along with that, and and this is consistent among all of us, and you should probably already know this based on our podcast. But uh, one of the foundational elements is the Bible. And of course, uh, this whole podcast about what that's in the Bible, and we speak about the Bible. Uh, we're speaking about the King James English uh, Bible, and uh, that's the Bible that is correct in the English language. And the rest of them all vary from it, and they have errors. Um, if man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God, then every word's got to be there. Amen. And if you have one that's right, then other any others that vary from it uh, are wrong. Amen. So we we don't accept all of the modern versions, and um, we don't do that 
we don't reject them prejudicially, uh, having looked into it, as we will again today, uh, with one of our special features uh, that's fairly recent uh, addition to the podcast, uh, you'll see there is a difference. And then uh, the other thing I'd like to say is, uh, it kind of sums up some of the things that Steve said, but but what happens is uh, people flip-flop the uh, first two commandments that, as Jesus summarized them. Amen. And so he said, the first and great commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Then he said, the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And many of the mainline denominations and, and, and even some of our own churches with similar names, they would put the people before the Lord mm-hmm. so that the first and primary thing for them is loving your neighbor as yourself. And then God gets relegated to uh, second place. If that uh, he's put on the back burner somewhere else. And, and our approach is it's the Lord first. Amen. Your first priority is what does God want out of you? What does God want to, out of the church? What, what is God's position on the thing? And as Steve said, it's not that we want it to offend people, but the Bible says great peace have they, which love thy law and nothing shall offend Amen. them. Amen. It's, it's gotta be a love for God first, a love for his word first, a, a love for him first and his son and, and everything else second. And whether that's um, friends, family, whether it's your own flesh, you know, you can be sure that some of the things we read, read in the Bible rub us the wrong way. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So what do we do? We have a choice. <clears throat> we can get mad at God or as, um, the old preachers say we can we can turn the cat around so it rubs the fur the right way, <laughs> and that's called repentance. Amen. Yeah, I would say really just echo everything that was just said, but it's unbelievable, especially when you're preaching in front of people, you can see what rubs them the wrong way. And it's unfortunate, uh, even when we're just preaching the Bible, you know, we're supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. And when you do that, we do go through things that people don't like, and they like to shy away from or not believe it. They want their own point of view or, well, I just believe this. And one of my main verses I always go to is Romans 3, 4, which says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Amen. And uh, even if it makes people mad, people upset, uh, you know, we don't want it to go that way. But uh, I remember one time I was preaching shortly after I got saved and it was a basketball ministry. And I, at the end, uh, actually a couple people walked out, slammed the door. They were just visiting and they got so mad at what I was preaching, which was just, just the Bible. And they had slammed the door. And of course it's in a big gymnasium. So it's echoing, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, so afterwards I felt like I needed to apologize just say, I'm sorry if this is offend you, but this is the truth. Amen. And, uh, and then one of the men in the church got up afterwards and came over to me and he said, don't ever apologize for preaching the word of God. And so I believe all of us here would echo that, that we're not going to apologize when we stand on the truth of the word of God. And if you get offended by it, uh, we're we're not going to apologize. We're just going to say, well, you know, hopefully you'll get in line with the word of God eventually and we'll be praying for you. So I think that's what probably separates our church in the Arctic uh, with any other is that, listen, we, we're going to stick and stand by every single word in that Bible. Amen. And thanks for making that distinction because we often get new people that tune in. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes they're not exactly sure, even though we do have a website at that's on the Bible.com that it explains a little bit more about who we are and what we do and what we believe. But it's sometimes nice just as a refresher to uh, say, hey, here's who we are and here's what we believe. Well, as Pastor Strobel mentioned, we do have a new segment that we've added to our podcast, and we try to have a little fun with it at the same time as really take a look at a serious topic 
on how the new Bibles change important verses. So we're going to start that right now. Yes, welcome to the sword versus the spear. Finally got that right, Pastor Strobel. <laughs> and um, the, the, this game show, not really a game show, it, this scripture show is really all about taking a look at what does the King James Bible say and then what do these new translations say? You know, many oftentimes that these new translations are said to be, well, it's easier to read, it's more accurate to the uh, the originals, which nobody has. Um, so we're going to see what changes are made and let's see if they're easier to read. Let's see if they're easy to understand. And if you have another Bible at home and maybe you're using something other than a King James Bible, get your Bible and, and, and follow along with us and let's see how that goes. So, but let's begin with, um, we're going to start with the scripture reference of the New Testament, the book of Mark. So it'll be your second, um, book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. We're going to look at, we'll make it easy. We're going to look at chapter one, and we're going to look at verses one and two. And I think we're going to have Pastor Strobel, um, who has the King James Bible, and Mr. King James himself. And we're going to ask him to read, and then we're going to follow along closely with two other Bibles. We're going to look at the ASV, the American Standard Version, and then we're going to hear from the new Revised Standard Version, and we'll see what they do with their Bibles. So, Pastor Strobel with the King James, if you could read for us Mark chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Yes, absolutely correct. Right there from the Word of God, the correct reading. Let's go now to the um, ASV, the American Standard Version, and uh, see what the American Standard Version has for Mark chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. That's right. That's correct. So good to be here today. And as you saw, I'm the American standard, the standard. Okay. The standard, just so you know that I'm the standard. All right. Mark chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, even as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. No, that that's what? that's. That's incorrect, and we're going to go over why that's incorrect in just a minute. But let's hear from the New Revised Standard Version, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I just want you to know it's the New Revised Standard. Oh. Better, better. <laughs> the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. That what you're looking for? See, I am, uh, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You know, you read that with such authority. I almost wanted to believe you, but I know that's, that's wrong. And let's, uh, let's go to the King James. Uh, Pastor Strobel, with the King James, why are those two versions incorrect? Well, it tells you that it's written in Isaiah in those two versions, but um, all those words are not written in Isaiah. 
is actually uh, combined couple prophets. So the first thing that he says there, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Uh, that comes from Malachi. Malachi mm. chapter three, verse one. Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. And it goes on uh, from there. So it's not all in Isaiah the prophet, and by changing it, because they're so smart and educated and have the access to the oldest and best manuscripts, they've created a contradiction in the Bible. Amen. Amen. Good point. And I'm, I'm sorry, no points for the uh, American Standard Version, no points for the re New Revised Standard Version, but the King James is accurate and correct once again. All right, thank you, studio audience. Let's go now to our next uh, scripture reference, and that's going to be Psalm chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. And um, why don't we have uh, the new revised standard version start out? All right, here we go. Uh, Psalm 10, starting in verse 4. The pride of their countenance, the wicked say, God will not seek it out. All their thoughts are, there is no God. Their ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are high, uh, on, on high, out of their sight. As, their, as for their foes, they scoff at them. Now, if you're following along with the King James Bible, you've already seen what the problem is. But uh, we're going to go to the American Standard Version now and see what uh, that reading is. Well, we all know because I got this southern twang. I'm from the Bible Belt, so you know I'm more spiritual. <laughs> okay. you, you can't even say that with a straight face. He's, he's cracking himself up. <laughs> Psalm chapter 10, verse 3. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and the covetous renounceth, yea, condemneth Jehovah. The wicked in the pride of his countenance saith he will require it. All his thoughts are there, or all his thoughts are, there is no God. Now verse 5. His ways are firm at all times. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his adversaries, he puffeth at them. <laughs> I think I read verse three by accident. I think you're just trying to throw in some extra stuff to try and get some points, but that's not gonna never, never. It's not gonna work, and and of course that is wrong. Aww. Let's go to the King James. I think we should first apologize to all folks from the south. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here it is from your from your King James Psalm ten four and five. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. So What's what the we, difference there? Yeah, what we see is the King James talks about the wicked's ways being always grievous, whereas the uh, New Revised Standard Version says that the wicked ways prosper. And the ESV says that they're firm which is uh, pretty much at the opposite end of the spectrum. Yes. I don't understand how those are more accurate or, or easier to read when they change really what it says to the opposite meaning. Makes no sense to me, and I don't understand why people use these other Bibles. But <clears throat> let's go to our last one, 
and that will be Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. And let's start with uh, the New Revised Standard Version. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Okay, the words of the teacher. And and what do you have, uh, ASB? Well, I got a good feeling about this one. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1, 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Mm, so that one says teacher, the you say preacher. Yeah. Let's see what the King James Bible says. Ecclesiastes 1, 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, what was the problem with um, with the um, New Revised Standard Version? It's interesting. I'm, I'm teaching in Ecclesiastes. Just started a study on Wednesday night through the book of Ecclesiastes. And in so doing, um, I came across this and, and saw in the newer versions, some of the newer versions, like the new RSV, that they take out the word preacher and put in teacher, hmm. which is really classic for the spirit of this age in a day when they're going to reject the truth and heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears, Amen. turn away their ears from the truth. And people don't like preaching today. They don't want to be preached to. There's a spirit that says, don't preach to me. I've heard it from lost people. I've heard it from saved people. Mm. And that's just the spirit that gets inside their mind and their heart. And don't preach to me. I don't want anybody telling them what to do. But they'll take somebody teaching. And as a, um, a pastor, as uh, myself, Brother Steve, our Brother Matt, and his work there, uh, working with the young people, well, we are supposed to both preach and teach. Mm-hmm. So the pastor is to be apt to teach. And in First uh, Timothy chapter 3, the bishop, which is the office of a pastor, the office of a bishop is the, the office of a pastor. And then in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, he's charged to preach the word. So just take, for example, at our church, we have uh, four services a week. So Sunday school, uh, the Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service, and Wednesday night service. So two out of those four we teach, and then um, two out of those four we, we preach. So we give them that balance of preaching and teaching. So preaching takes the word and applies it, you know, directly. And there's, there's teaching that's incorporated into preaching. Mm-hmm. And, of course, every once in a while, while I'm teaching, preaching breaks out. So, yeah, amen. But you need both. Amen. And uh, this generation doesn't want them both. They just want uh, teachers. Amen. Well, that leaves uh, the new Revised Standard Version with zero points. Now, surprisingly, ASV, the American Standard Version, you, you were able to get a point here. That's right. So you might as well read me. <laughs> no. I got one. No. <laughs> One is not perfect, though, is it? Like the King James, which is without error. A broken clock is right twice a day. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's wrap it up with a bonus question. Let's go to our bonus question, and that's going to be Matthew 23, 14. Matthew chapter 23, 14. And we're going to start with um, the New Revised Standard Version. What do you have for Matthew 23, 14? 14. All right, Matthew 23, 14. Let me see here. 23, 14, 13, 15. Let me look, look at that again. Matthew 23, 13, 15. Uh, we, we want 14. Where did 14 go? Are you uh, saying there's no 14? There's no 14. Hmm. Well, it must not have been important. 
The, the studio audience was not happy with that response that you've ripped a scripture reference out of your Bible. It must not be important. It, it's uh-huh. not in my Bible. Well, let's see. Let's, let's go to the American Standard Version and, and see what uh, you have. Yeah, I'm not the new standard. I'm the old standard. That's what we want to stick with, the old paths. Amen? Amen. Oh, well, I'm in myself. <laughs> 13. All right. Matthew 23, 14. I got the 13. I got the 15. There's no 14. So no 14 I again? I don't see no 14. Well, the uh, studio audiences, some of them have walked out of the building now. And please come back because the King James has not, uh, you know, read, read the exact, uh, the, the accurate, <laughs> the accurate, you heard them walk out just then. The accurate. No, they're coming uh, back. Oh, they're coming back. Yes. Oh, good. The accurate uh, uh, reference. What, what do you have, uh, King James, for Matthew uh, I'd just like to say 14. that's not much of a standard, ASV. <laughs> Matthew twenty three fourteen. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! I think that one hit too, a little too close to home. Mm. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, ye shall receive the greater damnation. That's a pretty long verse to be missing. Yeah, I know why I don't have it in my Bible. Expound because it talks about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amen. Well, I hope this was enlightening for you today, um, and you got to see that, you know, it's not just about updating the language and making it easier to read, and it's, isn't, it's curious to me that if, again, if you were going to say that verse doesn't belong there, why would you still have the old verse numbers and just have skip a verse? Amen. It doesn't make any sense. Amen. You should adjust the verse system if you don't yeah, believe it should if, be there. If you feel that strongly about it. So why don't they do that? Because this is the standard. standard. Yes. King amen. James amen. Bible. Amen, amen. 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 Uh, I was going to point out a little something. Now, you won't be able to see this except for if you're one of the premium members with a video recording <laughs> this. <laughs> but um, I pulled this out of our my office. This is the uh, New Revised Standard Version that Steve was reading from. And you can see it's Holy Bible. And you open it up into the text and whoop. It's all upside down, <laughs> which I think is very appropriate. And, yeah, amen. And this is how this came. That's wild. I, I don't guess all of them came that way, but I, I'm glad I got one of those collector's yeah. items. Yeah, amen. amen. <laughs> all right, well, that's the end of the sword versus the spear. All right, folks, thanks again for joining us for that and hope you had some enjoyment with that. All right, we're going to continue on. We know one of the things I'd like to do is to mention that we do um, uh, invite you to give us your questions by email, or there's a variety of different ways you can do it on our web uh, site at uh, that'sinthebible.com. But for that end, we'd like you to listen to this. Have a question or topic that you want covered, email us at that's in the Bible at gmail.com or leave a phone message at 716-584-1611. God bless. And every time I hear that, Steve, I think of you and the, uh, the, the baritone. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, they they probably shoot me if they wanted me to do that one. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, the, that's an idea. We got to come up with a new jingle. Oh boy, here we <laughs> go. Oh, we do. Recorded. We do. We need to come up with a new one. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll I'll run it by them. See what they say. We got the microphones as a recorder here, ready to go. Well, just do one when we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Think you could train us to do the parts? No, nah, that that take too long. Are you <laughs> trying to mess me up? Are you trying to mess me up? Is right. <laughs> I was thinking of that. As we, we were singing next yeah. to each other last night, <laughs> and I thought I'm sounding pretty good, but I'm not saying anything to Steve because I know what his response will be. Uh, All right, but we did get a question recently um, from a listener in Texas, and their their question was um, they wanted to know about the tattoos, if if those were okay in the Bible, and does the Bible mention them? And then they also had questions about um, the uh, Virgin Mary and saints. Um, and I, I think coming from a Catholic background, Roman Catholic background, we, um, we did cover those questions already. So if you were to go to, um, and I'm going to have in the show notes for this podcast, if you're on an app, you'll be able to just click and it'll take you to these episodes. But if not, you can go to our website at that's in the Bible.com. And if you look under common questions, um, you'll see the podcast called Quick Answers to Common Questions, where the first thing we talk about in that episode is tattoos. And then we have a couple of other different episodes that if you look under the heading of cults, you'll find uh, Roman Catholicism versus the Bible. And then you'll also see another episode called What is Mary's Place in the Bible? And uh, that should answer your question on saints and the... Um, the, the veneration that the Catholic Church uh, does with uh, the Virgin Mary. All right, so I think um, we're all set now for uh, Pastor Strobel is going to bring us How Are You Following? I'm curious already to hear what this is about. So if you're ready, Pastor Strobel, I'll give you a short introduction music, and we'll let you start. Amen. Let me read you a passage from 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse number 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Let's pray. Father, it's good to be here. We thank you for just um, not only saving us and what a blessing it is to be saved. And that really settles our eternity and and um, it fixes us up, and we're grateful for that. But thank you for, Lord, letting us live and serve you. It's a privilege. And I pray for your blessing upon this message, Lord. I don't know. I know all of us are called to serve you, Lord, and people are called in different capacities. But uh, all of us are called to uh, follow after thee and do what you want us to do. So help, I pray, uh, this message and study. Uh, help it to be a help to somebody. And uh, may we ever do that, what you'd have us to do, and do it well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this is going to be more of um, a preaching, teaching study. So it'll be a Bible study. It'll be practical application. Uh, it's just, this is going to be stuff, as always, that is in the Bible. And in the passage we read, Elijah is about to go up against the prophets of Baal in the contest on Mount Carmel. 
And a bit later in the chapter, he's going to call to God to send fire from heaven uh, after the prophets of Baal had failed to do so with their false god Baal. They both attempted to do it, but uh, only the Lord God uh, answered by fire. And Elijah then, after mocking the false prophets and their false god Baal, which he did, uh, he successfully called to the Lord God of heaven and earth. And in verses 38 and 39, the Lord sent fire from heaven. And the people fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. But it was leading up to this battle between a little G God and his followers and the big G true God and his prophet Elijah. It was leading up to this battle that we read in verse number 21, uh, 1 Kings eighteen twenty-one. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And he's talking about um, who they're going to follow. And in uh, in Second Thessalonians chapter three verse seven, the apostle Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, "For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, how ye ought to follow us." And I'd like to say that just as the Thessalonians knew how they ought to follow Paul and Sylvanus and T- Timothy, there's a lot of people out there today that that actually do know how they ought to follow Jesus. And uh, the question I've got for uh, you folks is this. How are you following him? How are you following him? And uh, the message today is, is that. It's how are you following? And um, when Elijah asked this question, uh, part of it was who are you following? Uh, but I'm going to talk especially about how are you following. And it could be that you are like the children of Israel were at the beginning of the contest at Mount Carmel. It might be that you are following the Lord just like they were, and that is, number one, indecisively indecisively. Uh, one of the famous uh, hymns that we sing says, I have decided to follow Jesus. But here before the fire fell, the children of Israel, they hadn't decided anything at this point in their existence. Uh, they were wavering back and forth between Baal and the Lord. And finally, Elijah confronts him about it. And he says, how long halts she between two opinions? And Elijah tells him effectively, he says, time to choose sides here. He says, how long halts between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And he says this to the Israelites, I think, in the same spirit that Joshua had spoken to them uh, many years before in Joshua 24, verse 15. And that's where he said, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. And then he closed it by saying, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And of course, we love that spirit and that challenge of Joshua, if you, if you love to serve the Lord. But he had to put it on them. Uh, they were stuck between two opinions, it seems, as well. And uh, Joshua tells them, uh, again, in the same spirit of Elijah, he tells them, uh, today, uh, you need to make a choice. And this is the day you need to make that choice. And Elijah tells them, you know, enough messing around. It's time to choose a God and follow him. It's time to make a decision. But they were both, in both cases at that point, uh, seemingly indecisive about it. Now, the, uh, in Joshua, they would answer positively, but, um, and it's another study, but Joshua would later on uh, tell them emphatically that uh, basically you're, you're just talking. You're not really ready to follow the Lord. But we won't have time to get into all of that today. Elijah's words implied that the Israelites were indecisive about the matter, and the Israelites' response confirmed that they were indecisive. Uh, the Israelites said when Joshua had, uh, or when uh, Elijah had spoken to them in 1 Kings chapter 18, and verse 21, 
read it again. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And then there is an, another sentence, a full sentence at the end of the verse. And it says, And the people answered him, Not a word. Elijah pressed them about making a decision, but they won't commit. They won't commit one way or the other. Um, they were still hedging their bets, right? Um, they followed the Lord indecisively. Maybe it's Baal, so we're going to hang on to him. And maybe it's the Lord, we're going to hang on to him. And in so doing, you know, they, they were just stuck there in the middle. It's uh, reminiscent of a story that I heard, and this might just be an illustration story, not a true story, or I suppose it could be true. But um, in the Civil War, they say there was a, a guy who couldn't choose sides, and so he wore um, you know, Confederate um, uh, pants, and he wore a Union shirt. And when they found him, he was dead, and in his Confederate pants, there were Union bullets, and in his Union shirt, uh, there were Confederate bullets. So the thing is, you know, uh, like somebody said, he that straddles the fence usually falls off on the wrong side. But if you're going to be somewhere in the middle, I mean, you're going to have both sides fighting you. You're not going to be on the right side. You've got to pick the right side. You've got to pick a side. And, of course, it's not this whole thing. This is not reminiscent of what Jesus told the church at Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, uh, he told that church that uh, they were lukewarm. And that church was right smack dab in the middle. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were lukewarm. And here's what Jesus uh, told them. He said, I know thy works. And by the way, he knows your works too. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. And uh, interesting way that the Lord uh, says that. He'd rather have them cold or hot. You know, it's harder to get a hold of a lukewarm person because they tend to think they're okay. They may still be going to church. Uh, They may still be talking about the Lord when they're with Christians. And then when you get away from Christians, you know, they just, they just like the world. But they still think they're okay. You know, they're putting their time in, punching the clock on Sunday morning maybe. And, um, and, and, and Jesus said, I'd rather get you on one side or the other. If, if it's easier for the Lord to get a hold of somebody sometimes that's cold than it is for somebody that's uh, lukewarm. But Jesus, he had had enough of their indecisiveness and um, was putting it on them. I would thou work cold or hot. Joshua had had enough of the children of Israel's indecisiveness. Uh, Jesus had enough of their indecisiveness. Joshua had enough of the Israel's indecisiveness. Elijah had enough of the children of Israel's indecisiveness. And each of those people pressed the people that they were speaking to for a decision. Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. Elijah, how long halt you between two opinions? Jesus, I would thou work cold or hot. Uh, of course, what he really wanted them to be was on fire for the Lord, fervent. And so he went on and said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. That's what the Lord wanted out of him, ultimately. And he had a better chance of doing that um, if they were cold rather than they were lukewarm. And he said he'd take the lukewarm ones and he'd spew them out of his mouth. Now, there are two general groups of people that might halt between two opinions, um, as we're kind of talking about today. And that would be, as I see application, the saved and the lost. So the loss, when a loss wavers between the two opinions of whether or not to believe on Jesus Christ as their Savior, uh, that's where they're stuck. Um, um, should I accept him? Should I not accept him? But if they waver between those two opinions, they have already effectively made a decision to choose not to accept him. Because when it comes to salvation, you're either saved or you're lost. There is no middle ground. Uh, you either have Jesus or you don't have him. First John five twelve. 
He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So when it comes to salvation, anything short of accepting Jesus Christ as one Savior is for all practical purposes rejecting him. But that's a, an opinion that some lost people halt between. They decide, well, should I get saved? Should I get, shouldn't I get saved? Well, the answer to that is, yes, you should. You must be born again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Other than that, uh, you are lost. Now, if you're saved and halting between two opinions, because saved people do, if you're saved and halting between two opinions, not quite choosing to serve the Lord and not quite choosing not to serve him, uh, not hot, not cold, but lukewarm, uh, I would say to you, unless you want to make the Lord vomit, because that's what the word spew means in the scriptures, you can see it comparatively, and I believe it's... um, uh, Exodus 13 or Leviticus uh, 13, somewhere in, somewhere in there. <laughs> but you can, uh, if you if you will, if you want the Lord to vomit you out, spew you out of His mouth, then w- what you got to do, uh, just keep being lukewarm, because that, that's kind of Christian that makes the Lord sick. Um, you want, instead you want to get zealous, like he said, be zealous therefore and repent, unless you want to make the Lord vomit, and you need to rise with fervor zeal, get on fire for Jesus. And so I ask you, how are you following? Is it indecisively? Are you in this age of Laodicea being um, just lukewarm like the bulk of Christians tend to be? Maybe you're following indecisively, and maybe you're following it uh, another way as well. Uh, Maybe you're following like Peter followed Jesus after Jesus rebuked him in the garden and after Judas delivered Jesus to the chief priests. So in Luke twenty two fifty four it says at that time, Then took they him, and led him, and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. That's how some folks are following Jesus. They're following him afar off. Maybe that's how you're following him. Um, not uh, too close, but keeping him at a distance. Three times in the Bible, the Bible records that Peter followed Jesus afar off. Uh, after this uh, incident in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of all of them tell of it. And I read you from Luke, and I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 26 now and read you from uh, Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 58. So Matthew 26 and verse 58, But Peter followed him afar off into the high priest, uh, under the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. And I've considered those words. To me, that pretty much describes a lot of Christians that I meet today. They're following Jesus afar off. They sit in church along with uh, other people, but they're doing nothing, just sitting around and waiting to see the end of the age. Their attitude is the world's a mess. Jesus is coming. Nobody wants to hear. Nobody wants to get saved. I guess I'll just kind of coast there to the finish line. I want to tell you this morning, if that's your attitude, it's a bad attitude. Uh, This isn't a time to coast. This isn't a time to quit fighting. This isn't a time to lay down your sword and shield. Now is the time to fight the good fight of faith. As you get toward the end, you don't want to just be uh, coasting. The only people that are coasting at the end of a race is the ones that have run out of gas. And to avoid running out of gas, you've got to make timely pit stops. Like uh, every morning as uh, they were teaching, Matt was telling you, they're teaching the young people at uh, youth camp to spend time with the Lord and uh, powering up uh, in the power of the Spirit of God. So uh, it's, time to, it's time to put the pedal to the metal, if you will, spiritually speaking, and not run slower, not uh, just uh, give up, but uh, to run 
uh, and run this race till the end, finish our course. And we people, we who are saved, we who are born again, washed in the blood, believers in Jesus Christ, listen, we'll all get to heaven soon enough. That trumpet sounds, there's no coming back um, to relive your life again. Uh, we'll come back down to this earth, but that'll be in the next phase of, uh, of life. But right now where we're at, right now is our only opportunity to serve the Lord by faith. Right now is our only opportunity to earnestly contend for that faith in the way that we can in this uh, day and age. And right now is our only opportunity to reach some people before it's too late. And it's like a song says, if there ever was a time to fight, it's now. And let me say also that uh, following far off is a dangerous place to be. Let me read you from Mark, what Mark said about it in Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, verse 54. And in Mark 14, 54, And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. I say it's a dangerous place to be because now here's Peter and he's hanging around with the crowd that serves the people that orchestrated the betrayal of Jesus Christ and is about to have him executed. That's who he's hanging around with. And he warms there at uh, the devil's fire. And it'll be a short step from warming at that fire to actually denying Jesus Christ himself. As a matter of fact, uh, we learned from Luke's gospel that it really was no step at all. And from where he was warming at the devil's fire, hanging around the devil's crowd, there was no step between them, that and him denying Christ. And here's back from Luke chapter 22, and uh, beginning in verse 54. Luke twenty-two fifty-four. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire. So here he is still there in that crowd, warming by the fire. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And there, right there, there right as he started hanging around the crowd that he shouldn't have hung around with, warming at their fires and their pleasures. Next thing he knows, he's denying Christ. And of course, it'd get worse from there. Uh, Peter would deny the Lord Jesus three times. And of course, three times the Bible, as I mentioned before, said that he followed afar off. Let that be a warning to you if you're following afar off. And by the time it was finished, he'd deny him so badly, uh, he'd be cussing and swearing and turning the air blue trying to prove to them that he wasn't a Christian. I mean, how are you following? Peter was following afar off. I look at uh, that whole scenario and I wonder, man, what was up with Peter anyway? I mean, it doesn't seem like the Peter that I know from the Bible. Let's take a look a little bit earlier in Luke 22. If you're there looking in the, in the Bible, look uh, back in verse 31. Let's see what sets the stage for this. Here they are at the Last Supper, and, and the Lord said, uh, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Now that's Peter that we know. That's one we remember. Uh, but Jesus warned him in the next verse. He said, and he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And of course, uh, the Lord knows what he's talking about. And, and Peter, um, 
takes it in. He, he doesn't believe it, but he but he, he he hears it. And to really understand what happened to Peter, uh, let's look a little bit further. Verse thirty five. And he said unto them, here's Jesus talking to the disciples along with Peter, again at the Last Supper before they go into Gethsemane when he was betrayed. And he said unto, he, unto them, when I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said, nothing. Then said he unto them, but now he that hath the purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me, and he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. So a little bit later in this chapter, Judas betrays Jesus. Uh, John tells us uh, a little bit about what happened at that time. It says, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it. Now we just read why he had a sword, because the Lord told him to, to get one. And they said, all right, we got two swords. And he said, that's enough. So he takes that sword, Simon Peter does. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Now, in Matthew's account, the rebuke goes even further and longer and included, among other things, what Matthew said when Jesus was rebuking Peter. He said, all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Now, to Peter, this sounds a little bit different than what they just talked about the Last Supper. He said, uh, time's come now. If you don't have a sword, sell your garment and buy one. Again, he said, well, we got two of them here. And the Lord says, that's enough. He's telling them, you know, things are going to get rough, and you may need to do some defend yourselves. And Peter, understanding that, when Jesus, I mean, his Lord, the one he loves, about to be betrayed and taken, uh, he naturally wants to defend him. I mean, that's what's in his heart. And he is trying to defend his Lord. That's why he goes after Malchus, cuts off his ear. He's, he's going after his head. And Peter does this just after Jesus had told them to get a sword. And Peter, not understanding the big picture, Peter confused and upset. Uh, he uh, doesn't know how to process all of this. And he leaves the garden in a bad state of mind and in a bad state of emotion. Some people think Peter denied Jesus because he was afraid to stand up for him. Well, some folks do deny Jesus because they're afraid to stand up for him. Uh, but that wasn't Peter's case. I mean, Peter was, Peter, he stood up for him and tried to cut off Malchus' ear. You think he's afraid of, of, a, of a young maid asking him if he belonged as a Christian? He's upset. He, he's confused. He can't grasp all this. He's angry and doesn't understand the whole scene. He would understand it later, but for now, because of that, um, He's putting some distance between him and Jesus, and he followed afar off. A few moments later, the cock would crow. Peter would deny Jesus for the third time, and uh, Jesus would look on him, and their eyes would meet. And, of course, Peter, after that, he went out and he wept bitterly. And now he understood. He understood uh, that he'd done wrong. And Peter, he was following afar off. How are you following? I hope it's not afar off. But if it is, you'd better do something about it. And uh, that's going to lead to our next point, and this is going to be from Psalm 63. Psalm 63. This is something that you could do, could be doing, instead of following indecisively, instead of following afar off, this is what you could and should be doing. Here's David in Psalm 63, and he says to the Lord in verse number 8, he says, My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. 
Of course, we learn uh, from the scriptures, uh, Jesus is at his right hand. Uh, as we read f- fully through the scriptures and uh, he is his right hand. And, and we in the new Testament, we're upheld by him. And David says, my soul followeth hard after thee. And let me suggest that that's the way that you ought to be following. Now, according to Webster's 1828, hard can sometimes mean closely. And in such cases where it does, uh, it will say hard here in the scriptures instead of closely. And, and that will imply that um, the pursuit is, is not only being done, done closely, but with great effort and urgency as he follows hardly after him. Some other places where the Bible makes reference to this, 1 Samuel 31, verse 2, where it says, And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. They were pursuing him in battle. We are to pursue God with that same sort of intensity. Uh, 1 Samuel 14, 22, Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. So you can see the intensity that's implied there when somebody's following hard after the Lord, and again, or hard after anybody, And but that's how we ought to follow after the Lord. Not afar off, but closely. Not lazily and haphazardly, uh, but hardly and with great effort. Uh, like a hymn says, Hear ye the master's call, Give me thy best, for be it great or small, that is his test. Do then the best you can, not for reward, not for the praise of man, but for the Lord. Follow him. You know, the place of greatest solace, the place of greatest surety, the safest, sweetest, stress-free place to be is close to thee, Lord. Yes, close to thee. And that's the truth. And Fanny Crosby, she wrote a hymn about this. And Fanny, in uh, describing how this hymn came to her, she said this, Toward the close of a day in the year 1874, I was sitting in my room thinking of the nearness of God through Christ as the constant companion of my pilgrim journey when my heart heart burst out with these words, Thou my everlasting portion, more than friend or life to me. All along my pilgrim journey, Savior, let me walk with thee. Close to thee, close to thee, close to thee, close to thee, all along my pilgrim journey, Savior, let me walk with thee. That's where she wanted to be, close to him, following hard after the Lord. And I think of that, and I, I'd ask you, we, we have to even ask ourselves sometimes, uh, why would you linger afar from his presence? Why would you not desire to draw as close to him uh, as you could? What other things would really be more alluring and valuable and satisfying than the Lord? Of course, the answer to that is nothing, but sometimes we're duped and deceived by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Sometimes um, I've heard people lament, and they they will lament that that God's not close to them. And to that, um, I would respond, if you want him to get closer to you, then you get closer to him. And James 4.8 tells us as much. It says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. I mean, he's already taken the steps. He left the splendors of heaven, came down to this earth, and he's taken the necessary steps to get close to us. And now the ball's in our court. And he lived for us. He died for our sins. And uh, now he bids us come to him. And I, I still love the invitation. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And by the way, whether you're saved or lost, if you, if you need rest, uh, you can claim that verse. Come to him. And what rest, he said, he'd continue to say, you shall find rest unto your souls. And that's the, that's what people need. That's what lost people need. That's what saved people need. We all need rest to our souls. It's what the people of earth need, rest to their souls. And that rest is found in the Lord Jesus and him alone. Any other rest that you might think to find or seem to find is nothing but a cheap and temporary imitation. 
So how are you following Jesus? Are you following hard after him? Or are you hardly following him at all? I'm going to go, if you would, uh, turn with me to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. We'll take this even a step further. And in Numbers 14, uh, this is after the children of Israel refused to go into the promised land because they're afraid of the giants. And after Moses uh, had interceded for them, the Lord responds to the intercession that Moses had made in verse number 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these 10 times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land, which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath fully and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went and his seed shall possess it. The Lord's testimony of how Caleb followed him here is an example that uh, I'd encourage you to pay close attention to and an example that we should uh, follow ourselves, and that is to follow the Lord fully. This is another way that you could be following the Lord, another way that you should be following the Lord fully. Uh, Other passages that speak about this in uh, Deuteronomy, uh, Judges, Book of Numbers as well, uh, they speak of this incident saying that Caleb Holy, follow the Lord. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy, his whole being. Uh, Numbers 32 verse 11 acknowledges that uh, Joshua, along with Caleb, uh, also followed the Lord holy uh, in this matter. So how are you following him? I'm asking you this. Are you following him fully or partly? Have you laid your all on the altar or only part of yourself on the altar? Have you at one time laid your all on the altar and then crawled back off? How are you following him? Does the Lord have all of you or does he only have a part of you? Now, I know if you're saved, he's paid for you and, and you belong to him. But how much of, of, of what belongs to him do you allow him to have and to use and to do what he wants to with? And are you letting him have his way with you or are you fighting him on it? And the song says, would you, make, would, you, would you have him make you free and follow at his call? Would you know the peace that comes by giving all? That's following him fully. And if you want to do that, the song says, let him have his way with thee. And that's it. Uh, and I'll say this, man, if you can trust him with your soul, can't you trust him with your life? Sure you can. And the great and the mighty God, he deserves no less, no less than for us to follow him fully. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ on earth, he followed hard after the Father. And he followed all the way to the cross for our sins. And he deserves no less than for us to follow him fully. But that's not the norm today. It's not the norm in Christianity. The norm in Christianity today is people partly follow Jesus and they partly follow their own path. And that is the spirit of this age. But in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, it said that Caleb, he had himself another spirit. And he followed the spirit of God, not the spirit of the world. He fully followed the Lord. And I'd say to you, go thou and do likewise. And because Caleb followed the Lord fully, uh, he got to go into the promised land while his peers who followed the Lord partly perished in the wilderness. And Caleb, um, he certainly exemplified that uh, other part of that song, I have decided to follow Jesus, which says, though no one join me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. All right. Um, if you would, next, we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians 1, 
a few more thoughts on this. First Thessalonians chapter number one. And first I'll read in verse number five and six. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in the in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. It says ye became followers of us and uh, of the Lord. Look at chapter 2, verse uh, 14, and then 15. First Thessalonians 2, 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. So we know from chapter 1, as they followed the church of God, they were also following Paul. They were following the Lord as well. So uh, that goes right here also, that thought. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. And what I see here in the uh, lives of the Thessalonians, those folks from Thessalonica, is that they continue to follow the Lord uh, in spite of persecution. When I ask you, how are you following the Lord? Uh, are you following him in spite of persecution? Uh, that's how you ought to be following him. Uh, you ought to be following him just like that. And in, uh, let's see, Matthew, uh, no, we'll wait on that one. In, um, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, they, they went through some things there. Matthew cha- or 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says they suffered like things of their own countrymen, just like Paul and the others had of the Jews. Uh, and uh, talked about these things that they went through, the persecution. And I find this. Um, some folks flee when persecution comes, and then some folks soldier on. The seed that fell on the stony ground that didn't have much earth sprang up because it had no depth of earth in the parable of the sower. And in uh, Mark chapter 4, when Jesus is expounding that to them, he said, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves. And so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So these who are offended, we find uh, from uh, Mark that they lacked a couple of things. They lacked depth and they lacked root. And their personal relationship with the Lord and his word were, were shallow and superficial. And if you're going to bear fruit, you've got to get your roots down. And if you want to withstand storms, you've got to have some depth to you and get your roots down. And you can do this by spending time with him in fellowship and going down deeper in prayer and getting more and more into the Bible, reading it more, studying it more, memorizing more portions of scripture, meditating in it more, and that will help you to, to get depth and, and get your roots down. Uh, some Christians, they do just fine until they run into persecution and face it, and then they turn tail and run. But you know, the Lord, he gave us fair warning that we would uh, face persecution, and he gave it to you, to you so that, not, not that you would turn tail and run, so I don't face that, but so that you would be ready when it comes and it wouldn't throw you for a loop. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will of godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When you just even make up your mind that you're going to live for the Lord, some persecution will come. Don't quit because of it. Don't run because of it. 
be prepared for it, and recognize what's happening. Sometimes you go through difficulty not because you're doing wrong, but because you're doing right. Keep on doing right. Press through it. You'll get through it. The Lord will be there with you. And he told the disciples in John 15, he said, um, beginning verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. They hate you because you line up with Jesus and they're against him. He said, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If you are suffering persecution because you're standing up for Jesus, you're in good company. You're in the company of Jesus and the company of his apostles, his disciples. You're in a company, the company of all those that have tried to serve the Lord down through uh, the ages. It just goes with the territory. And you don't want to be paranoid looking around the corner thinking, where am I going to get it next? Where am I going to get it? That's no way to live. Just go with confidence, the helmet of salvation, that God will take care of you. And he got through it, and he'll get you through it. Matter of fact, here's how he told you to approach it. John 16, verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Not paranoia. Jesus talking to him. You might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus said, you're going to have tribulation. There's going to be persecution. Cheer up. Be of good cheer. Why? Because you're going to have people persecute you. But he says, I have overcome the world, and in him you can overcome it as well. And determine, again, like our song, I've decided to follow Jesus, says, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no term, turning back. Uh, there is sometimes some difficulty, sometimes some battles, sometimes some um, scars that go with serving the Lord. Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's face it, most of us don't. And uh, not that we want to and we have to, but, but we do bear some scars for standing up for Jesus. But it's part of the territory. Uh, Amy Carmichael lived from 1867 to 1951. She was a missionary to India for 55 years. And um, her life story is a, a study worthy of studying in itself. But she wrote um, a little poem called No Scar. And I think it's appropriate for us to consider, especially Christians in this uh, Laodicean generation. She said, hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archer spent. Lean me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compass me I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who hast no wound or scar? That's uh, a heart-searching question. I'm going to give you one more from Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. This is the calling of uh, James and John. Matthew chapter 4, we'll start in verse 21. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. 
I'm asking you today, how are you following? And one of the possible answers to that question would be immediately. In other words, when the Lord makes it clear to you that he wants you to do something, you follow immediately. This is how James and John followed him. God, God uh, made it clear. Jesus called them. It was clear to them that he wanted them to follow him, and they responded immediately, which is the best way to respond. Matter of fact, in our churches, um, our tendency in our independent Bible-believing uh, Baptist churches, the atten- our tendency is after we have a preaching message, we have an invitation. And the reason we have an invitation is while during the uh, heat of the moment, while the Spirit of God is working on somebody, to give them an opportunity to immediately respond to what God's dealing with them about, whether that's salvation or whether that's, uh, and in most often cases, whether it's a Christian that the Lord's spoken their heart about. And so we give an altar call. They'll then come forward and pray at the altar. Some stay at their seats and pray, but uh, there's just something about uh, getting out of your seat, humbling yourself, going forward to an altar and praying. And um, some people, some people never have done that. Uh, I encourage you to do it sometime before you die. If the Lord speaks your heart during a service. Forget about everybody else around you. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks and um, get down there. I, I, I sometimes, when I'm at a service and I go down to pray in an altar, sometimes just because of the distraction around and maybe other noises, sometimes I just plug my ears and just uh, pray to the Lord what I'm going to talk about to, to him about. But um, it is a humbling thing, but but I, I want to do it because I want to respond immediately to it. And that's one way to respond. Of course, that's just praying about it. Uh, the other way to respond immediately is after you get up, you're going to have to do what is something about whatever you, is what you were praying about, whether it's forsaking a sin or whether it is uh, um, being a better witness or getting out tracks or, or something that God wants to add into your life. So here's James and John. The Lord calls them. And uh, immediately they left their ship and their father and followed him. So they followed immediately. Now, according to Mark chapter 3, verse 17, uh, Jesus surnamed James and John Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. And uh, perhaps that was because of the lightning quickness with which they immediately followed Jesus when he called them. Uh, I don't know, but, but how do you follow when the master comes and calls for thee? I mean, do you hem and haw? That's what a lot of folks do. Do you dawdle and delay? I mean, would to God that we would get to the place where when he calls, we would follow him immediately, whether it's a call to do a one-time task. And sometimes it is like, you know, go over there and give a track to that person. Stop stop and speak to that that, uh, person right there. Or whether it's a call to the full-time ministry. When we know he's calling, we should come and we should come immediately. Uh, You know, one of the more frustrating things that parents have to to deal with is when they, they call their children and their children don't come. And, um, you know, I, even in recent times, I have seen parents out in public, you know, calling them, kids won't come. I've seen them do the countdown thing, you know, one, two, and they get to a certain number and then the kid's really going to be in trouble, I guess is the idea. But, but I wonder this, I wonder, has the Lord been counting down you because you've not followed at his call immediately? He's been, he's been counting, giving you that count. And, and what number would you be on? And how much further do you think he'll count before judgment comes? I mean, look, the Lord loves you. You're saved. You're on his side. He wants you to serve him. But if you're going to be a disobedient child, there will be chastisement. I mean, chastisement anyway, but especially for those that, um, uh, those that try his patience. And James and John, the Lord sees them mending their nets, calls them, 
immediately they leave and they follow him. And he'd call them the sons of thunder. I wonder what he'd call us. Maybe the sons of the wet noodle. All right, I'm done. So how are you following? You following him indecisively? You following him afar off? Or are you following hard after the Lord? Are you following him fully? And will you follow him immediately when he calls? Answer the questions, determine what adjustments that need to be made, and then, um, and then decide to get from where you are to where you ought to be. You're going you're to take action, and you're going to do it immediately. How long halts you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, serve him. And if there's something else that's God, serve it. But we know there's not. We know the Lord is the God. He is the true God, the living God. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Serve him. Because there's going to come a time when you won't have any more chance to do so. So do it now. Amen. That so often happens with these episodes that uh, these lessons that we uh, are given. The Lord speaks to me. You know, I'm ready to hit the altar. Amen. (laughs) Amen. So, um, Steve, you want to comment? Sure. Uh, good message. Uh, this is the second time and, and, uh, appreciate it. Uh, uh, you know, some people have this idea that if you hear a message or preach a message more than once, that it's not good. I tell you what, it's, it's just as good as it was, if not better Amen. the second time. Uh, not that I'm daydreaming or anything else, but you just pick up different things that, uh, that you missed the first time, uh, to tie into some of the points that, uh, pastor Strobel was talking about, uh, take your Bible and go to, to uh, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, you have some uh, situation where somebody wants to follow the Lord Jesus. And uh, in verse 57, it says this, And it came to pass that as they went there in, their way, in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. So here you have someone that's willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made a determination. He wants to follow him. But instead of the Lord just sitting there saying, hey, come on, here we go, you know, and, and really not giving him any, any uh, perspective as to what it's going to be, look what the Lord says there in verse 58. And Jesus said unto him, the foxes have, uh, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not a way of ease, and unfortunately, many Christians, uh, when they get saved or when they get uh, presented with the call to follow, uh, to be a disciple, if you will, uh, they back off. Uh, They they are initially interested in following the Lord, but when they find out uh, what some of the conditions are, they, they back away. And that, that ties in, obviously, to what uh, Pastor Strobel was talking about with Joshua and Caleb. Uh, th- when the way was going to be tough, when they went into the, to the promised land and they saw the giants, uh, the, the other ten spies backed off. And the Lord had given them a directive to follow him. He's going to protect them. He's going to keep them safe. He's, I mean, at least lead them in the, in the, the, into the promised land. And only Joshua and Caleb were willing to to follow the Lord at his command, uh, regardless of what the conditions are going to be. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of Christians that do that. And I would urge them not to follow that. I would urge them to follow the Lord 
because the Lord's going to take in, take care of you. Amen. Doesn't mean you're not going to have difficulty. Doesn't mean you're not going to have persecution. Not going to mean that you're not going to have affliction of some sort. But your life as a Christian is going to be so much better if you follow the Lord as opposed to trusting the Lord as your Savior and then finding out things aren't what you exactly thought they were going to be and then back off, you're back in the world, and you're miserable. And there's so many Christians that are out there living miserably uh, and, and not fulfilling what the Lord could have done with them in their lives. Look down again. I'm going to skip the middle one. But uh, I want to uh, uh, go after the, let's see, uh, verse 61. Another said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And here I see someone that wants to follow, but conditionally, someone who wants to set the terms on which we follow. And uh, the Lord's not interested in you setting the terms. He's the one that sets the terms. And, uh, you know, too many times a a person will say, and and we've heard it probably from missionaries, Pastor Strobel, I'm sure I've heard it, and probably Matt and even you, Eric, have probably heard this. uh, I'm willing to go to the mission field except for (laughs) whatever place they, they don't desire to go. Amen. And they're setting a condition on how they want to follow the Lord. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, conditionally, they're they're willing to follow the Lord if it's just going to church on Sunday morning. Uh, you know, they don't want to go to Sunday school. They don't want to go to Sunday night. They don't want to go to Wednesday night. They don't want to get involved in 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 uh, uh, evangelism and outreach and so forth. Whether that's street preaching or door to door or handing out gospel tracts, they're they're setting conditions on how they want to follow the Lord. And uh, the Lord's not interested in that. In fact, he he responds there in verse sixty two. He said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, you know, that's, that seems rather harsh, but the Lord is looking for those that are willing to follow him. And I'm not trying to re-preach or, or, or say, you know, repeat again what, what Pastor Strobel has said, but, but we need to be careful not to expect a path of ease, and we shouldn't expect to set the conditions on, by which we follow the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's uh, it's great study, and Amen. you know it made me think about also here in Jeremiah chapter six, well known passage of scripture. But in Jeremiah chapter six, verse ten, it says, "To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach; they have no delight in it." And that's a lot of times how Christians can get. They can get to the point where. The word of God is just a reproach. They have no delight in it, even if they have it in front of them. They're they're reading it, and God tells them, "Hey, this is this is the way you're supposed to follow me." They still don't have. They don't care about it. And then in verse fifteen, Jeremiah six fifteen, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore, they. Uh, shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. 
And when God talks about, you know, you're supposed to walk in this way, that's following him uh, in that path. We're going through the old paths. And as we were talking about earlier at the beginning of the podcast, we were talking about, you know, what's different between a Bible-believing church and a modern church. I believe a big part is, is that the newer churches are not following the Lord, as Pastor Strobel said, hard and fully and, and right away. And, and a lot of times they're just trying to, you know, be pleasing to the ears and all that. And and when it says here, we will not follow, it's it's always a group of people. And so I think that's why it's so important to get into a good Bible-believing church because it's so much easier going with other Christians that are backslidden, don't care about the Lord as much to follow afar off, to follow, you know, not as closely as they should. It's just better in a group where you're not getting convicted. You go to a church where they're not preaching against sin and you don't you don't even have maybe even any delight in the word of God, especially when they when God's calling out your sin and you say, Well, I'll follow far off and off the path. I'm not gonna follow the old paths that God set in that Bible. I'm not gonna follow them that way. And unfortunately Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And we heard a great message last night from Brother McGahey about being spiritually dead. And a lot of those modern churches had just full of Christians that are spiritually dead because they're not following the Lord the way they should. And the old paths have gotten fully grown over. And I think about, I love running. I know, I believe Pastor Trouble likes to run, and uh, my father-in-law does too here. And, and you know, you walk down a path, yeah, Dad's, Dad's shaking his head no. <clears throat> but when you when you go on a path, especially not, you know, on the road, I'm talking about in the woods, uh, if somebody's not running on that path for a while, it starts to become overgrown. But the more people are running on that path, it just it's easier to follow that path. And I believe today in modern churches, there's so many, that have made a new path and it's away from following God and the old paths are getting more and more overgrown where it's harder to be able to follow the Lord. And I want this to be, and I'm sure everybody that's listening wants this to be their testimony in Jeremiah, uh, I'm sorry, in Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 58 verse 11 says, and the Lord shall guide thee continually. So again, following God while he's guiding you and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee, talking about those that are following the guiding of God, shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. And I believe uh, we need to step up. All of us need to step up and we need to restore those paths so that uh, many that are following, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's easier for them to see that path to follow the Lord. Amen. 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 Well, good stuff. Good stuff again today. And Amen. thanks again, guys, for what do you think of uh, sitting together and, <laughs> and looking at each other while this is happening? Yeah, it worked out well. Amen. Amen. I like that. Amen. Better than I thought it might have. Amen. I wasn't a distraction. I didn't fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> You're on your best behavior today. I was on my best behavior, yes. <laughs> Steve, you want to sing us out? No, thank you. <laughs> I got to do some harmonies. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> hey, let's hear Steve sing. No. <laughs> The instigator is there. There we go. We can join in on the chorus. Yeah.
Christians away. All right, here we You're go. Turn people off. Jesus, Jesus is coming. <laughs> What'd I tell you? <laughs> we gotta make our my father-in-law's uh, ears here bleed. Oh, they're bleeding. <laughs> bleed sound shall rise in the skies. <laughs> no one dies. Well, Steve is right now thinking, "How did I get hooked up?" Yeah, with that's exactly right. <laughs> I hope they don't if ask. If you want to hear us sing, come to First Bible Baptist Church in Lockport tonight, and uh, we'll be singing here tonight. So, <laughs> all right. Unfortunately, that'll be over by ten. Yes, it will. This will be this. This be going up time travel. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> be going up Thursday, but you can also catch the uh, live stream, which yeah, will be recorded. Right. That's true. Yeah. It will be on uh, live stream. We'll have to see if we can leave the singing on or not. Amen. It'll be archived. Amen. All right. All right. Any parting uh, words? God is good. Amen. Good all the time. Amen. Amen. All right. Until next time, Lord willing, press on. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous be in the skies. Going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon. Morning or night or noon. Many will Many will meet their doom. Shall rise, righteous be in the skies, going where no one dies, heavenward bound.